Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and our first guest today is my old good friend and pal. Ms. Tosca Medlock-Lee. Tosca is with Project Unity. And just a couple of weeks ago, you were the producer, the executive producer of Together We Sing at the Morton Myerson Center, the the Symphony Center. Tell me about how you were able to put that thing together with Project Unity, where you had the symphony, you had gospel, and you had hip-hop combined. It was amazing. I I was blown away. Yeah, I had the opportunity to produce uh, for the third year um, what we call Together We Sing. It's the signature fundraiser for Project Unity, which, of course, is a nonprofit organization here in the Metroplex. And so Together We Sing was all about a night of bringing gospel and hip hop and classical music together Mm -hmm. and uh, our partnership with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra has just made this unique collaboration experience world class, if you will. It was absolutely amazing, and we're just going to talk about the music for a second, then we talk about the rest of Project Unity, and together we sing. The conductor for the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, he was doing a sit-down conversation uh, before they started, and he actually said they had done some music before with Tchaikovsky and Drake. That's what made my jaw drop. I'm like, wait a minute. Yes. So, okay, so that was Roger Galt, and he's the uh, chair-elect mm-hmm. for the uh, board of the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. And so that's one of the things that the, the DSO is really trying to do is to bring in different genres for people to experience uh, various types of music. And so they did a Tchaikovsky and Drake combination. And um, I actually experienced a, a a a show that Common did with the Houston Symphony Orchestra okay. that was full 100% rap meets classical, which is where I got the inspiration to do uh, a segment of the oh. show to celebrate 50 years in hip hop. So, uh, so yeah, so actually, you know, not to put a plug in, but this coming week, the 23rd through the 25th, the symphony is doing what's called Nothing But the Blues. And so they're going to be uh, conducting and showcasing, you know, Billie Holiday and Louis Armstrong mm-hmm. and some of the blues greats covering that. So, yeah, so they are really, really trying to underscore their commitment to embracing and cultivating diversity, you know, in, in the music. All at the Morton Myerson Center. We're talking with Tosca Medlock-Lee and, and Tosca, back to the program itself, which I thought was incredible. You had um, one of the original members of Mary Mary for the gospel. Actually, you had several different groups, but you also had um, 
You had some hip hop at the end there with who was on the ones and two Spinderella from Spinderella on the ones and two Spinderella one from Salt and Pepper. (laughs) It was really, really impressive with the entire symphony orchestra, but you also had a huge choir in the background. I know that took some time to put all of that together and get everybody on the same page and select the yeah. songs. You had different conductors there and they were fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So we had, um, first of all, we, we we're already planning for 2024 and have some thoughts on 2025 already. So yeah, you're correct. It has taken, you know, it takes a long time, but the whole vision uh, is was to celebrate and pay tribute to National Black Music Month, mm-hmm. which is the month of June. And so we wanted to utilize the entire show to really kind of showcase various genres and to bring in a trio of conductors that you ordinarily wouldn't see. Uh, and so uh, so we, we obviously kicked it off with that conversation with Richie Butler and Roger uh, Gault, but we started the show off with what we call the Black Music Tribute Overture. And it kind of ended in some things with, uh, it, it merged some music together, Sam Cooke and Michael Jackson. I heard the Michael merged. Jackson. Yeah. I caught heard it. heard that, some various sounds. Mm-hmm. And it ended Lift every with voice. kicking off Lift Every Voice and Sing. And so and if you did not hear that arrangement with the orchestra and that 200-voice unity choir, to sing, lift every voice and sing. I want to tell you that every at the very beginning of the show, you're used to a standing ovation mm-hmm. post the show, but at the very that beginning started of it. the yep. show, everybody in the hall was standing up. Very impressive. And then go through some of the artists. And here's the other kicker. Channel 8, WFAA has made a special about this. Yes. So that special is going to actually air. We adjusted the date. It airs on July the 1st at 9.30 a.m. on WFAA Channel 8 Excellent. on a Saturday morning. And so we're excited about that. But it's, you know, the other artists that were in that space, we had Grammy Award winning, Dove Award winning, you know, Stella Award winning audit, uh, you know, uh, musicians. And and we had the BET Sunday Best finalist, Zebulon Ellis. And we mm-hmm. had Gay Arbuckle, who's a favorite right here in the Metroplex. And of course, Erica Campbell and... You know, Mary, we had uh, it, we had who was with Mary Mary and, you know, and now her on a, an amazing solo career, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Tatiana Barnett and our trio of conductors just left no stone unturned with uh, Roy Cotton, the second and uh, Leon Lacey, who conducts and produces music for Beyonce and so many other um, uh, Grammy Award winning artists, including Wycliffe John and so mm-hmm. many others. And he does TV scoring. And, and and so it was just a blessing that we were able to get these people, including Dr. Glenn Caldwell from uh, from the university up, up in the university in the Washington area. So being able to put together uh, Spud Seawright, who is, you know, Snarky Puppy's uh, drummer, the mm-hmm. Grammy Award winning Snarky Puppy, uh, to put all of those people on the same stage and then to end it in, with a cypher. You know, with hip hop yeah. and Spinderella and that crew, it was just fire, right? And people can check it out on WFAA on July the 1st, Saturday morning, yes. 9 a.m. It was absolutely amazing. But you mentioned it's a big fundraiser for Project Unity. And I noticed that there was an award ceremony held earlier, which is yes. also very impressive. And you were uh, 
There were awards given out to a lot of prominent people, including yes. uh, the president of SMU. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things. When we envisioned doing this uh, signature fundraiser, Project Unity is, of course, one of the premier nonprofits in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's yes. now doing international work around bridging divides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there were so many corporations and faith communities and, and individuals that leaned into this space to say, you know what, I want to do my part. And not only do I want to do my part just so that we can have a more healthy community, but I want to do my part so that the workplace can have can be courageous, so that we can have courageous conversations and have more uh, better places of work and, yeah. and, and and try to release toxic environments. Right. Under- so it's called understanding. It's called understanding. Yeah, understanding. Absolutely. And so, so many corporations were doing great, great work. And so we, uh, we began the Together We Awards last year, the inaugural awards. And so Corporate Unity Award, Organization Unity Award, and Individual Unity Awards. And this year we had a special Trailblazer Award that was given to uh, Troy Vincent Sr. for the NFL. Mm-hmm. All I can tell you was it was an amazing experience. And again, it was a nice, a, a very, very receptive crowd who enjoyed themselves at the Morton Myerson Center. I thought for a lot of people who may not go to the symphony, this was an introduction to that. But more importantly, just like you mentioned, Project Unity is about people having conversations, getting yeah. to know each other or understand each other and find out that there's more in common then there are differences, and differences are not necessarily uh, uh, taboo. They're like something to be embraced. Correct, correct. And you know, and as we you know really talk about what people will experience when they watch WFAA on July first at nine thirty a.m., is that not only are you going to experience you know just the music and the recap of of that whole experience you know uh, in the thirty minutes, but we're going to spend some time for the general public to understand uh, our Together We Mantra. Yes. Because um, uh, our founder, Richie Butler, says all the time that if there's a Together We somewhere, we're going to be connected to it. So, you know, by by promoting the power of listening through our Together We Dine and promoting the power of learning, you know, through our Together We Learn and the power of sports through the ball and the power of, 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 of collaboration through our Collab Lab and, of course, the power of music through our together we sing. And so we believe that there is power in coming together and sharing stories, your story, Chris, and my story mm-hmm. are not alike, right? regardless of our skin color, mm-hmm. you know, that our stories have our own individual DNA to it. You were raised differently than I was raised. Mm-hmm. And so you see things differently than I may see things. But the key is, is to not to look at those differences as division, but to look at them as a space of gratitude so that we could create new habits to embrace conversation. You know, you're talking about differences. It's like how people are raised. There are people who are different. Like you said, they may be the same race. They may be the same gender. Somebody's born in New York, completely yes. different than being raised in Texas. Somebody being Absolutely. raised in, in Alabama, completely different than raised in Michigan. Somebody raised in Wyoming, completely different than raised in California. And this is just the United States alone. You may Correct. be very similar with all other things, but the way you were raised in different parts of the country, that's just the difference. And guess what? You learn to embrace the differences and you grow from that. You don't fear it. You say, right. you know what? This is actually a plus. This is a bonus and not only my workplace, but the, my place of worship, my place of, mm-hmm. of school education, 
this is all just added value as opposed to something, oh, no, 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 I don't want to know about somebody from California. Oh, I don't want to know right. from somebody from Illinois or whatever it is. I love the whole concept yeah. of Project Unity. So, so let's talk about some of the different projects. Let's talk about Together We Dine and what that entails because I thought that's another icebreaker. And that's, yeah. what, that's what these things are. These are basically icebreakers Absolutely. where you yeah. can get to know people a little bit better. Absolutely. They, they are courageous conversations. So the week of the uh, uh, signature fundraiser at the Mort Meyerson, we hosted a dine and Erica Campbell uh, attended the dine. And she said that it is rooms like this that can transform our world where people sit down together, break bread together and talk about things that you would not talk about. And so our dines are designed to meet individuals where they are through the power of listening. And so there is a, we have we have trained facilitators that have individual tables of eight, you know, six to eight people that set their tables. Mm-hmm. We do these dines very frequently. And the next one is happening on the 29th of June at the uh, Dallas Holocaust Museum. Okay. And uh, and you can, you know, people can go to our website, projectunity.net and sign up for the dines. The dines are absolutely free. And, uh, and you come in, you have a hot meal and you sit with people that you don't know and you are guided through a conversation through the power of listening. And so you pull a question and we're not there to solve the world's problems on race, Mm -mm. but we're there to offer a space of safe and courageous conversations where people will listen to one another over the meal. Because guess what? I want to hear your story, Chris. I want to know how you grew up. I want to know about your grandparents. Mm -hmm. I want to know, you know, what type of friends did you have growing up? I want to know if you've ever experienced someone that looked at you differently or, or, or were you in a place or crowd or situation where you felt out of place because you were the only black person there. I want us to have a conversation about those types of things. And so that's the commonality and the thread of humanity if we just listen. And what's so wild is, you know, back in the day, a lot of the conversation in a family home was over the dinner table. And you might have somebody come over to eat. And you find out something about your neighbor. Somebody just moved into the neighborhood. They came over to the house to eat. Now, this is yep. back in the day when people actually sat around the table. And then right. even Thanksgiving is all about people coming together over food and learning about each other. So I, I think Together We Dine is something exceptional. And then there's Together We Ball. Let me say this before I want you to explain all about Together We Ball because I absolutely love the whole concept. But in the world of sports, and, you know, that's my mainstay. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people bond because, A, they either support the same team. Either it's their high school, their college, mm-hmm. the Cowboys, the Mavericks, the Texas Rangers, the Dallas Stars, mm-hmm. or whatever the team that they grew up with and they moved down here to Texas, but they're still a Yankees fan or they're still a Golden right. State fan. Whatever it is, the world of sports has united them because there's a team that they like or there's a sports figure that they love or there's somebody that they admired in the world of sports. And then if you play sports, not only do you gain character and you learn how to work together, but you learn about all kinds of different people in that locker room. And I can't tell you how many guys and girls always tell me when they retire or when they finish that sports career, it's like that's the part they miss the most. Learning about people in that setting from all different kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. And absolutely. and Pastor Butler, Richie Butler, of course, he played football at SMU. So he right. uh, he's lived that. But together we ball, 
I think it's that powerful. is genius. Can you talk about <laughs> Together We Ball? It is so powerful, Chris. I mean, we are using sports, specifically Together We Ball, to bridge divides and understanding between communities and law enforcement yes. specifically. Because that's the power of sports. And to be able to have police officers, uh, clergy leaders, business leaders, community persons, you know, uh, civic leaders, family mm-hmm. to be able to come out for a full day of fun uh, and 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 to be able to have a game of basketball because they're building relationships so that when when people of color encounter a police that you could remember that there were some good officers that you were on the same team with right Mm -hmm. or that came to your community for a game of basketball uh and so that is the whole sports analogy for me if i were to be if, if someone asked me hey what's your favorite you know together we you know program of project unity besides the sing i would say ball and i'd say ball simply because everybody rallies around their favorite team and I, I just remember I did some research on the Dallas Cowboys fan club. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you these fans come from all over the world, the world, they come from all over the world. And it it, it, it matters not. I could on a, any game day, I could go over to Texas, over to the uh, stadium and the AT&T stadium and find the fan club. And I will be embraced just because I'm a fan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we want to do with uh, with our ball is that we want to bring the police together with our community so that we can say, okay, this is a place where we can we can have a same. We are on the same team. Yes. And And it's not the police versus the rest of the community. It's like this. It's a draft before the game and different people will play playing with different people. And it's, it's talent based and. And the thing is, it's a basketball game. For we, if we didn't mention it, it's a basketball game, and it's indoor. And it's all you got. You got all kinds of sponsors there. You have vendors there. It's like a big family occasion. And you also yeah. have high school players there, high school yeah. students in a preliminary game. Preliminary games. There's a couple of games with. The, it's kind of like a high school all star game as well. Yeah. So this year we're at SMU. We're partnering with, with SMU mm-hmm. and the Together We. Ball and it was at Paul Quinn last year, a sensational turnout at Paul Quinn. I mean, and their new facility is just absolutely mind-blowing. For those who haven't been to Paul Quinn lately or have been there at all, you've got to visit Paul Quinn. You have to visit Paul Quinn, and uh, and we look forward to you coming out. Uh, I think it's the third Sunday in August. It is uh, the weekend. It's the Sunday before Labor Day weekend. Yes, that's the, how I the remember last it. Sunday in August. Mm-hmm. And so that is that that game will and it's for the whole family. So the Mavericks does a skill and drill camp. So on the 27th of August, uh, we'll be at uh, SMU for the big game. And so we want everybody to come out. But it's a full day of fun. The kids will have fun with face painting and various activities. And we have an exhibition game with high school players and a skills and drill camp. Again, all of this is at ProjectUnity.net. And we'd love to have you there, volunteer, however you want to get engaged with us. You know, it's so wild. I've been involved with Together We Ball and Project Unity for years and years and years. And I want to say that Together We Ball started in the aftermath of the parade shooting when everything was hashtag yes. Dallas Strong. And yes. uh, Pastor Butler came up with the brilliant idea. And this thing has really, really taken off. And there's been yeah. so many people involved with not just Project Unity, Together We Ball, but like you said, Together We Dine, Together We Sing. 
Now let's talk a little bit about Together We Learn because I think that's also huge. Oh my. So here's the thing. Um, there are more uh, fatal acts between the police and the community with traffic stops mm-hmm. than mostly any other. All off of misunderstanding. Yep, because, particularly with people, communities of color. Uh, and so together we learn, which by the way, is uh, Senate Bill 30. And really? so it's the Texas Community Safety Act. Well, Roy, Senator Royce West was inspired by our work and authored Senate Bill 30 that's now signed into law. It's called the Texas Community Safety Act. And it requires that high school students, before they graduate high school, they have to be a part of a course where they have uh, learned educational programs on how to interact with the police. Mm -hmm. And so we got together with the National Black Police Association and the Dallas Police Department and worked and developed a curriculum that we now teach in high schools all over the state of Texas. Wow. And simply, it is life-saving because it's a practice that basically says that the officers want to get home safe and you want to get home safe. So how do we make that happen? And so our work really is inspired by helping young people know how to respond and interact with simple traffic stops. Mm -hmm. And so our Sewell Cadillac is our car sponsor. So we've gone to Carter High School. We've gone to Jesuit High School. We've gone to the ILS charter schools all over the Metroplex and Cedar Hill High School. And we take vehicles from Sewell Cadillac out to those schools. We do an assembly. They get a they get taught a curriculum, and then they go outside and do a practicum with the Dallas Police Department to assimilate them being pulled over. This is so fantastic and amazing because in black families, brown families, they call it the talk. When you have yep. a teenager, whether it's a girl or a boy, you have to teach your kids how to respond if they get pulled over by the police because it's not as simple as if you're you know, um, from a family that's the same identity of the police officer. It's just not the same. And it's like because everybody's not familiar with each other enough. And so you have to have a talk to realize you have to be as cooperative as you can be and you have to be, you know, non-threatening because the police officer may not know what to expect out of you. And and that's right. why it's so hard and that's why it's so needed for people to understand each other in the most Seem like the most simple thing. If you get pulled over for speeding, if you get pulled over for, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, they said I didn't have my turn signal on. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've, you've got to have this and conversation. And so what we teach them yeah. is that the traffic stop is not the place to have, you know, your case played out. Right. Take the ticket. Keep it simple. Be mutually respectful. We're promoting safety and understanding, again, of the power of listening. If you knew you had your turn signal on and they say you didn't have your turn signal on, this is not the place to make a life or death situation. Right. This, this is, is not court. Place. This is not right. Court. This is not court. This is a place for you to take the ticket and move on. And, and you so, know what? I know what I also yeah. love about this. Together we learn is that the police officers get to learn more about the community that they're that in. Correct. And they're not as defensive when they approach a car because they also don't know what to expect when they pull somebody over. They don't know necessarily who's in the car, how many's in the car, what they are doing, and they really don't know what to expect. 
And that's why the tenet of this program is to promote safety and mutual respect and understanding through the power of listening. So it's the same thing with the officers, you you know, because guess what? Everybody can have a bad day. Mm -hmm. The officer could have just left home and their own kids could have been acting up and whatever, whatever. Exactly. They they got home. They could have they just could have just started off with a horrible day. And so everybody is bringing their stuff to the situation. So if we if we are in a training mode and we're understanding that, okay, hmm, he's probably having a bad day, then you don't escalate the situation by having another, you know, right. Just Just keep it simple. Let's get this thing over with. And then, like you said, have your day in court. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 really it's really important. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about the work of Project Unity simply because, you know, it is. It's it's activating in corporations. Mm-hmm. It's activating in communities. It's activating with individuals. You know, because we all have a responsibility sure. to to really build community and sustain community. And we we and we do that only by making it stronger. When you understand that it's okay if I don't act like you act. Right. You you embrace the differences as opposed to being uh, fearful of them or not wanting to know the differences. In other words, you can be inclusive. You can be diverse. You can right. be all those different things and everyone can get along. What's what's wild is you find out that people you think are different have more in common with you than you even knew. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know how you get there? How's By that? conversation. That's right. The co- courageous conversation. By conversation. And so I say to your audience who's listening, who is it that's in your space that you would like to get to know better? That's mm-hmm. not different. That's different from you. Who do you sit next to every day in a cubicle that you could simply invite to have coffee or that you could actually talk to at a break? So, I mean, and that's all of our responsibilities in our in the, the whole power of connecting to one another mm-hmm. is is to learn about our our neighbors. Right. And like you said, you find out that you have more in common than you ever thought of. Oh, I didn't know you were a Cowboys fan or, oh, I didn't know you've been watching Yellowstone. What's the latest episode? I mean, you could go down the list of like, I didn't know that you're into that. I didn't know you like to go fishing. Just whatever it is. You say, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't know. My grandmother grew up in New York. Whatever it is, you find out you have something in common and it's an icebreaker. And you find out that guess what? We all are on this in this together, and I can count on you for certain levels. Rob Crane, who is our ambassador, uh, one of our ambassadors, who he was formerly the uh, president of the Dallas Bar Association. Um, he always says that you know he's a he's a middle aged white man, fifty years old, lawyer lives up in Highland Park, and he and Richie uh, got together and uh, and and really created much of what is uh, Project Unity and what we're doing specifically around the dine. The first set of facilitators that were trained were a part of the uh, Dallas Bar Association under Rob's leadership. And so the key that Rob always says is that, you know what, I can't walk in your shoes. You can't walk in my shoes, but we could certainly sit down and talk about what it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. to walk in my shoes. You know what mm-hmm. it what it's like for me being a middle aged white man and and to be able to see the the atrocities that happened with you know with George Floyd 
and to be in utter awe to say, oh my God, what, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, and that became the power of personal action. So each one of us can address and we could have our own walk. We could have our own journey. If we make the decision that we should, right? Right. I should learn more about the experiences of folks who are dealing with immigration. Mm -hmm. I should learn more about the experiences of why people, black people or people of color are more likely to go to prison than anybody else based on third grade reading scores. So we can all be a part of a journey because it's our own personal power of action, right? That's exactly right. And you know what, before we get you out of here, let's remind everybody they can see some of the fine work of Project Unity on WFAA Channel 8, July 1st with Together We Sing, right? Yes, Together We Sing. One of the things that when we began to birth this, and this is exciting because I want the audience to really focus on one thing that we did this year with Together We Sing. We can't, we produced a masterclass. That masterclass happened the day before the show. We had uh, We invited young string students and students of color who were budding orchestra musicians or or musicians and wanted to do that. And we let our trio of conductors speak to them. They performed the day before. So we had 89, almost 90 students uh, to participate in this masterclass. And one thing that came out of that is that music, Chris, inspires diversity. It inspires unity, just like all of these other programs that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And so Project Unity's task is simply to build and sustain stronger, more united communities through all of our Together We initiatives. So learn more uh, at projectunity.net. Watch the recap on WFAA TV on Saturday, July 1st at 9.30 a.m. Connect with us to volunteer, and we could always use uh, any support that you'd like to support to provide. Tosca Medlock Lee, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me, and it's always fun. I appreciate you. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And now, as a part of our Odyssey I'm Listening series, let me reintroduce you to David O'Leary, who's going to talk a little mental health issues during Pride Month with Dr. Christine Moutier, the Chief Medical Officer of AFSP. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. Talk really does have the power to save lives. And I'm Listening is our commitment to inspire more talk about mental health and about suicide prevention and about taking care of our mental health the way we take care of our physical health. 
I'm Odyssey's David O'Leary. I'm joined by Dr. Christine Moutier, who is the Chief Medical Officer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She also happens to be a leader in the field of suicide prevention, as well as someone who can speak firsthand about the devastation that comes from losing someone to suicide. She also speaks with a little bit of authority on suicide risk and prevention and how suicide affects not just individuals, but communities and and, and families and uh, faith groups and colleagues and and so many other communities. Uh, Dr. Moutier, it's great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, David. I certainly consider you a friend um, and an amazing friend in the fight against suicide. And it's just a pleasure to be here with you. It is Pride Month. Why is suicide, as well as depression and other mental health issues, a particular concern for those who are in the LBGTQ community? The first thing I want to say about that is with regard to any population, including the LGBTQ community, it's not one's identity itself that makes you suffer or puts you at risk. It's the experience that one has based on their identity um, in the society and in the world and the culture that we live in. And I also think about the fact that LGBTQ people have been marginalized, discriminated against for millennia. And so even though things are changing, some in the right direction um, in terms of an understanding of identity as as such, not not about choice, not about, um, you know, all the all the kind of myths of preference and whatnot. Sure. Right. So. I think about that, that that historical backdrop, because if a if a young person is coming to realize or getting in touch with their own sense of queer identity, depending on the family they live with, the home environment, the larger community, maybe the faith community, all those things can influence what they even find acceptable to think about themselves. So the process of coming out, transitioning, um, let alone the actual, you know, conversations and changes medically or socially that that can occur. All of that presents challenges for individuals who who have, like all human beings, have their own backstory in terms of potential genetic loading, family history of depression, anxiety, trauma. You know, all of those things that we know are general risk factors for suicide can be sort of loaded into the background for anyone who goes through anything, mm-hmm. including for queer people who are who are experiencing, you know, coming to terms with their own identity and then coming out and then the experiences they have in the world around them. I, I think that is a huge point. I want to make sure I understand it. So I'm going to restate it. And you, you can keep me honest. It's not because they're in the LBGTQ community that they may be at elevated risk for suicide. It is because of what they have to go through by being members of this community. Yeah. Circumstantially, that, that may place them at higher risk. That's right. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that is true for, you know, if you look at any group with elevated suicide rates of either, you know, suicidal ideation attempts or um, tragically, in some cases, death by suicide, those people groups who have those higher risks, these include some racial ethnic backgrounds, American Indian, Alaska Native, and, and actually, interestingly, middle-aged white males are also among um, a higher risk category of, of 
uh, folks. So there are all sorts of different reasons that relate to those, those discriminatory experiences, but also when there's a culture that puts shame around help seeking and specifically mental health treatment, those are additional risk factors that can come to bear. You know, it seems a little ironic and a little sad that at a time when it appears that we're learning more and more about causes and prevention of suicide and just mental health in general, it's it's troubling to see what appears to be targeting of specific populations that it would appear seem to be making the problem worse for those populations. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know it's a complicated world right now in terms of beliefs and but I, I would just make a, make a pitch or a plea to, to all of your listeners to put you know, any um, larger agendas aside and just think about the people in our own lives, your family members, your friends, your coworkers. Everyone faces challenges. Everyone has mental health to address and to manage. Some, some of us also have mental health conditions, which are an additional, I, I view it as a sort of a responsibility, but one that can be done, just like a physical health condition is something to take care of. And so, you know, to try to just get down to the real basics of these are people we care about, we love, who are in our lives, and, um, and some of them, maybe even unbeknownst to us, may be struggling with issues of either mental health or trying to figure out their own identity from an LGBTQ standpoint. So just having that awareness that our behavior makes a big difference for the people around us, Mm -hmm. giving them permission and inviting, in fact, encouraging them to speak about their internal experiences can be incredibly helpful. You know, there's there's this group called the Family Acceptance Project led by Dr. Caitlin Ryan, that studied behaviors in the home that led to very different outcomes for LGBTQ youth, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so for their children or for their siblings. And they broke it down to very concrete, specific behaviors that were ultimately behaviors that either affirmed the person as a human being and as a queer um, individual, or that Um, showed disrespect. And so there were like literally a hundred behaviors that they studied and night and day different outcomes in terms of um, even things like becoming homeless, um, risk of HIV AIDS, Mm -hmm. but uh, legal issues, academic problems, but also risk of suicidal behavior, night and day difference based on those concrete behaviors happening in the home. And I bet some of those behaviors are very subtle and very nuanced. It's like the language that we use and what we would consider little things that are very impactful to your point. Yes, yes. I think making an effort and using someone's identified pronouns, there's research actually that some of which AFSP funded Mm -hmm. that shows that using Correct pronouns for an individual actually reduces their odds of having suicidal thoughts. And so, again, these are complicated matters. But if, again, putting yourself in the shoes of someone who, on a larger scale, on a macro level in society, if you think about my identity may put me at risk for, you know, violence discrimination, problems getting any number of things, employment, housing, relationship stress, 
But now in my own home environment, I have a parent or a sibling who is using my pronouns, introducing me to mentors in the queer community, requiring other family members to treat me with compassion, love, and respect. Mm. You know, those are protective experiences uh, for a young person. Yeah. Those protection factors, I mean, we've talked about them in terms of suicide prevention. They're protective factors for your health. You get a good night's sleep. You exercise a little bit. You're going to lower your risk for, you name it, whatever, the, the, the physical health issue. And these are emotional uh, health issues and mental health um, uh, protective factors, I guess I would imagine that when you are, uh, when you hear this kind of language in the home, it affirms that you're in a safe place and, and, and you're in a, in a, in a good place. It's, it's, it's a protective factor. Yes. Yes. And I think intersecting with wherever the person is in their own journey, which, you know, for young people, may be intersecting them at some particularly vulnerable times because the job, the psychological milestone, the job of a teenager is essentially to establish their own autonomy, you know? And so it's a complicated time anyway, let alone if there is our, you know, our opinions and differences about who that person in fact is becoming and who they are. I I want to ask you how to, how to reach out to someone if you're concerned, there's a way to reach out. Absolutely. And it's really to set up a private time so that there's a, a space where they can optimally feel able to talk about potentially very private things that they're going through. You know, I think realizing that people are experiencing challenges at different times, they won't necessarily tell you that that's what's going on in their life, right? Depending on your relationship with them. So you have to use the little clues that kind of make your instincts say, gosh, they don't seem like themselves. What, what might be going on with them? So the first thing is just really trusting your gut instinct. Don't write it off that it's somebody else's job. I'm not trained as a mental health professional. You know, we use all kinds of excuses. I don't want to offend them. So what this approach looks like is really just establishing a safe, caring, supportive conversation. And so don't hesitate to use those words because if someone is struggling, remember the automatic instinct that we have as human beings, and I think this is actually a very primitive kind of primal instinct, is when we feel vulnerable, we withdraw and we put the boundaries up and we feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we have that big frontal lobe that gives us a big experience of shame, vulnerability, fear. And so as the supportive person, you need to actually say it. I'm here having this conversation with you because simply because I care and I want to support you. And it's a judgment-free zone because I've been through stuff too. And it feels so counterintuitive because we're we all want to get into the fix it mode. It's just, you know, those of us who most of us are problem solvers. But the job, the task is really different here. It's simply showing that you care, that you're able to hear it and listen and not run away and not judge and not minimize it, but just simply, you know, it's, it's those active listening skills that most of us are so bad at that just really <laughs> hears what they're saying, even reflects back, is this what I hear you saying? I want to be here for you. Tell me more about that. You know, those kind of phrases. Now, if the person is sounding hopeless, 
like they feel trapped in their circumstances or like they feel like they're a burden to others, those are indicators to me that they could be having thoughts of suicide. And so in those instances, I will ask, I will say exactly what the words they said. When you say this, X, Y, and Z, when you say that, it makes me wonder if you're having thoughts of ending your life. And then you have to zip it because oftentimes our own nerves are going in these conversations and just listen. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're not sure what to do, you can always call 988 for some guidance, but the odds that they are imminently, immediately at risk for suicide are actually very low because now they're talking about it. Opening up actually feels like a relief to people who Mm. are experiencing suicidal thoughts. And I think, you know, again, offering to um, to help them find some professional help, I think would be a, an important step to take if a person is having suicidal thoughts. I'm so glad you mentioned 988. And if you are struggling or if you love someone who you're, you're concerned may be struggling, that is the number to call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is care on the other end of that line. 988 is the number. In the, in the short time we have left, I, I, I want to sort of look for hope and optimism here. And it does seem... You know, we're, we're talking about suicide and mental health in a way that we weren't even five, ten years ago. And, and we're talking about the LBGTQ community in a way that we weren't a couple of years ago, notwithstanding that there's targeted legislation and, 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 and other issues that are, that are challenging for those in that community. But do you, do you see signs of, of hope? I certainly do. And I think, you know, to be in the field of suicide prevention, I probably have to be a little wired with some optimism, but Mm -hmm. it's also based on science and data that we see dialogue happening like never before. We see people reaching out for mental health support and treatment like never before. And, you know, I look at uh, the younger generation, particularly in the LGBTQ community, there is advocacy and sense of community together and with allies that is very strong now. These are more common and prevalent experiences of identifying with an LGBTQ um, type of identity. So in that generation, I do think as they grow up, um, there's going to be greater and greater understanding that these are normal parts of being human and um, Mm -hmm. hopefully some of the stigma will, will continue to diminish. Dr. Christine Moutier is the Chief Medical Officer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It is always wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Take care. And this is I'm Listening from Odyssey. To share your story or to find others, search for I'm Listening on the Odyssey app. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. I'm David O'Leary. I'm Listening is our commitment to inspire more conversations about mental health. Talk really does have the power to save lives. June is Pride Month, and today we're talking with Nicholas Turton from The Trevor Project, founded in 1998. The Trevor Project is a nonprofit focused on suicide prevention efforts among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. They offer a toll-free telephone number where confidential assistance is available and provided by trained counselors, along with a ton of other resources. Nicholas, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. 
Well, thank you so much for having me, David. It's great to be here. You know, the Trevor Project does the survey every year, has for, for many years, and the two 2023 version of it, the U.S. National Survey on the Mental Health of LGBTQ Young People has been recently released. This is an annual survey of about 28,000 LGBTQ youth across the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about some of the takeaways from the most recent edition of this survey? Our 2023 U.S. National Survey, which, as you mentioned, represents the experiences of over 28,000 LGBTQ young people ages 13 to 24 across the U.S. This is our fifth annual survey, and for the fifth consecutive year, the data we found really underscore that anti-LGBTQ victimization really contributes to the higher rates of elevated suicide risks reported by LGBTQ young people. Mm. And we also found that a lot of young people who wanted access to mental health care are unable to get it. So as an organization, um, you know, this is something that we're really concerned about and continue to work toward addressing. LGBTQ youth, they're not necessarily inherently prone to suicide risk because Mm -hmm. they are LGBTQ youth or or because of their gender identity or sexual orientation, but rather because of how they are stigmatized in society because of some of these other obstacles and so forth that they have to uh, contend with kind of on a, on a daily basis. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. And you're exactly right, David. It's not anything inherently prone to who they are as their identity with their identities as being LGBTQ young people, but exactly right as sort of how they are confronted and faced with different challenges of being victimized, being discriminated against or stigmatized because of different things that we're seeing in society. So um, the top line I do want to share is, you know, we did find that 41% of LGBTQ young people seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. Mm. And then for young people who identify as transgender, non-binary, and or people of color, reported higher rates than their peers as well. So um, there are disparities within our own community as well. And so um, I think what's really important is our data is also very intersectional and allows us to understand where the disparities are even within our own community. You know, we've learned so much about suicide, uh, warning signs and prevention, yet we have these markedly higher rates in the LBGTQ community and have for for some time, as you noted, especially in certain age groups and and genders? Obviously, our own mental health as humans, it's impacted and compounded by so many variables and factors within our own experiences. And so for LGBTQ young people, um, particularly, you know, thinking about being the a young person, you know, we're seeing a lot of news these days and what a lot of experts are saying, we're being faced with a youth mental health crisis that has been exacerbated by the the COVID-19 pan- pandemic. And so one, that's kind of where we're seeing right now, just like an ongoing youth mental health crisis. Mm. Then particularly for the young people that we serve at the Trevor Project, thinking about layering that on, on top of that with um, being an LGBTQ young person and In America today, there is a lot of stigmatization. There is a lot of discrimination that we're seeing across the country, particularly in the form of different types of rhetoric. And then now even really tangibly, a lot of legislation that specifically targets um, LGBTQ identities. Specifically, I want to ask about access to care, because that's kind of problematic for all of us. Even if you have insurance or you have resources, sometimes finding just healthcare in general, but certainly mental health care can be really, really 
difficult. It can be especially difficult for those in the LGBTQ community, especially youth. Can you talk a little bit about why that might be? What's really fascinating is when we're doing our national survey, we also ask young people, you know, for those who wanted access to mental health care but were unable to get it, what were the reasons why? And so actually on our survey site, um, we have the top 10 reasons why young people who wanted this access to mental health care weren't able to get it. And so the top reasons were um, actually, I feel like all relate to the sort of overarching theme of sort of stigma around mental health. And so mm-hmm. 47% of LGBTQ young people who wanted health care but couldn't were afraid to talk about their mental health concerns with someone else. And then 40% said they didn't want to have to get permission from their parents or caregivers, possibly because they didn't want to have to bring that up or didn't know how to ask for for that support. And then another 40% said they're afraid they wouldn't be taken seriously. So these all kind of relate to having the sort of fear or the stigma of mental health, um, you know, impact their access to care. I'd be reluctant to draw too many parallels between... um you know, rates of how we talk about mental health and how we talk about suicide in recent years versus how we talk about those in the LBGTQ community in recent years. But as a, as a sweeping generalization, which I hate doing, but I'll say it anyway, it seems like we're able to talk about our mental health and about suicide a little more easily today than maybe say five, 10 years ago, whatever. And it seems the same thing might be said of talking about issues surrounding those in the LBGTQ com- community. You know, we have TV shows, we have movies that make it sort of okay to talk about this in a way that we weren't able to just a few years ago. Would you agree with that? And is that making it easier for uh, those in the in the community to, to access care and to talk about their mental health? You're definitely right. We're seeing so much more representation and mm-hmm. visibility of LGBTQ identities and within our communities across a variety of different spheres of society. You know, you pointed to things like maybe media, film, TV, and even some, uh, even politically, we're seeing um, so many candidates and folks who are elected officials who are part of the community. So I definitely know that visibility and representation, it's having a positive impact in you know, it's definitely a stride toward progress for thinking about the rights and sort of the affirmation of our communities. But that also, that visibility really needs to be paired with more tangible things, sort of like systemic investment in mental health care that's competent, a culturally competent mental health care for our young people, as well as making sure that policies and legislation are being supportive of our communities as well. Yes, legislation. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, recent proposals, passages of, of anti-LBGTQ bills and legislation? I, I saw a thing from the White House yesterday, and I'm, I, I want to say I'm exaggerating this number, but I may be lowballing it, that there was a number, 400 filed in a single day, many directed at kids, talking about bills and legislation, anti-LGBTQ bills and legislation. Talk a little bit about what that does, uh, how that's sort of part of the problem here. At the Trevor Project, our advocacy team has been tracking and following really closely to the bills and proposals being introduced. And as of right now, we are tracking over 600 plus anti-LGBTQ bills that Mm -hmm. have been introduced in 2023 alone. 
that in itself is record breaking and you know expanding on sort of an already growing number of anti-LGBTQ bills that we saw last year. So it continues to break records each year. And this year in 2023, a majority of those bills and policies, they specifically target transgender and non-binary young people. And they particularly target them in almost every sphere of their life, whether it's in getting access to healthcare, um, being able to identify um, uh, for who they uh, are in schools, um, and then even being able to um, prohibiting access to simple things that, you know, we all view as just simple luxuries is like being able to access a bathroom. And so there's a lot of things that are bring, uh, we find very concerning. And, you know, recent policy and legislation that we've seen, um, there's a lot of outcry that we've seen in places like Florida recently, where they expanded curriculum censorship bills that we call within the movement as don't say gay bills, basically prohibiting any conversations of sexual orientation or gender identity, expanding it all the way from K all the way to 12th grade, which um, those policies, they're really vague and create this chilling effects because, you know, if you're not able to talk about LGBTQ identities in curriculum and in, in classroom discussions, does that mean I can also, can I talk about my own identity as being queer or gay or even a, a teacher being able to share personal, like their own lives as mm -hmm. a, maybe a part of the community and being there to support a young student who might be navigating or struggling with their own identity. So mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things that we're seeing happening in, across the country. And I also want to follow up with that, that how that's impacting the mental health of our young people. Our latest survey has found that nearly one in three LGBTQ young people said that their mental health was poor most of the time or always due to anti-LGBTQ policies and legislation. And when you pair that with some of the anecdotes that we're hearing from our 24-7 crisis line, our crisis counselors who are speaking or chatting or texting with young people who are experiencing mental health challenges, these um, debates about their own identities, about their own existence, and what they are or aren't able to do in school or in public spaces, these types of policies and legislation are making their ways and young people are raising them um, on, our, on our crisis calls as well. We are hearing those, those anecdotes being had. And so... I think a lot of people assume that young people don't pay attention to politics, but when they are becoming the wedge issue of um, the current political climate, they have no other choice in many ways than to pay attention. And the young people are watching, they are listening and hearing these debates and as having a really detrimental impact on their mental health. Nicholas, I, I want to sort of wrap up in the few minutes we have left on sort of a hopeful and, a, and an optimistic and a, and a positive note. One of the things that Trevor Project <laughs> offers a number of ways for resources and ways for people to connect and also to recognize signs uh, to, to perhaps reach out to or help someone who may be struggling in terms of suicide prevention or, or, or warning signs. Talk a little bit about some of those resources that the Trevor Project makes available. There is so much hope and a lot of optimism to be yeah. had. When we think about being able to be connected and to have resources available, you know, the Trevor Project, we obviously do provide our 24-7 crisis services where young people who are facing challenges or having a really difficult time can reach out to one of our trained counselors. And so, you know, we just point people to go to thetrevorproject.org slash get help, and you can find all the different ways to connect with us via phone, lifeline, text, or chat. 
but also on our website. Um, for young people who just want to learn more, we have a wide variety of number of different digital resources to help both young people and the people who support young people in their lives. You know, we have a our own coming out guide, which, you know, if you are a young person struggling with navigating with your identity, you know, the coming out guide allows you to sort of better understand, you know, what a coming out process could look like for you and how to do it in a way that may, is best for your own safety. We also have our own guides for, you know, being a guide, uh, being an ally to transgender and non-binary young people, um, for uh, caregivers, for parents, for teachers, um, for coaches or counselors who might be working with trans young people and, and are looking to get um better educated about trans identities and what it means to support those young people, we have guides for that as well. Nice. I'd love to end on a positive note because, you know, I think a lot of people might be struggling to think, you know, there's so much going on, you know, both, you know, at the national level, um, maybe you're living in a state where you're seeing a lot of this anti-LGBTQ legislation. And we definitely encourage people to be advocates if they're willing to, to do so. But I also want to just end off that, you know, we all can take a simple step uh, toward helping, you know, building a better and more affirming world for all LGBTQ young people. Because our research shows, you know, at the Trevor Project, that having at least one accepting adult in the life of an LGBTQ young person can reduce the risk of attempting suicide by up to 40%. Mm. And so my message to anyone listening is, you know, if you have a young person in your life, um, just be there. Be there, listen, offer support, and just be there. And I think, you know, that's such a simple thing to do, but it can have such a profound impact on the young people in our lives. Boy, thank you for reminding us that there is hope, Nicholas. There, there really is. And reminding us about those protective factors of being someone supportive and positive in someone's life. You can have it really have a tremendous impact. Nicholas Turton from The Trevor Project joins us this morning. It's okay to not be okay. We all know that the power of talk can save lives, and that's why we're here. Odyssey's on listening, working to share resources for those who need to connect and heal and to share their own stories. You can find out more. Just search for I'm Listening on the Odyssey app. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. And again, thank you all for joining us on Better Living a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.